Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another exciting episode of Thriller Podcast. Today, we are talking fully regulated Bitcoin ETN, Vitalik Buterin on a crusade, goodbye Toshi and hello Coinbase wallet. And of course, in our main topic, we're discussing the evolution to Web 3.0. That's right. Thriller Podcast, starting now. Welcome to Thriller with Car Gonzalez. Broadcasting from Austin, Texas, via SoundCloud and supported by listeners like you. It's time for the news. 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 Thriller with Car Gonzalez. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another exciting episode of Thriller Podcast. Today is August 16th, 2018, so we got a lot of news to cover. Let's do it. So first up is some pretty big news. There's now an exchange trading Bitcoin note that American investors can buy. That's right. If you want to buy Bitcoin without actually buying Bitcoin, you now have another way to own the controversial digital currency known as Bitcoin. Oh, man, these people, these people and their write ups. No, it's not the U.S. exchange traded fund investors has been touting as a catalyst for demand for embattled virtual money. It's an exchange traded note and it started Wednesday. Investors can buy it more easily, even though it's technically listed and regulated in Sweden. That's right. The product called Bitcoin Tracker One is now quoted in U.S. dollars under the ticker CXBTF, helping brokerages offer it to American investors now. <laughs> this is kind of a soft opening of sorts for crypto ETF, which has been repeatedly shot down by regulators, of course. And according to Ryan Radloff, he is the chief executive officer of CoinShares Holdings, LTD, the parent company that's offering this ETN. He said, everyone that's investing in dollars can now get exposure to these products, whereas before they were only available in euros and Swedish Corona. He says, given the current climate on the regulatory front in the US, this is a big win for Bitcoin. And of course the markets, you know, rose up, of course. And everything, everybody's happy. <laughs> no, um, this is good news. This is good news. I think it's. I think overall, I think overall, it's good news. If you're, if you want to see that type of reg, if you want to see this type of regulation lead to more regulation for Bitcoin, me personally, I like to hold my own private keys. I'm sure a lot of y'all do too. But to the overall overall price, um, this is good. This doesn't hurt at all. Um, but yeah, so this is going on. And of course, we're still waiting till around September to see what's going to happen with the SEC and the Bitcoin ETF. But that's not till September. So we got some time. Next up is pretty, pretty interesting because we know for the most part, Vitalik Buterin is pretty much on point when it comes to everything in life, or at least in Ethereum. <laughs> So he goes out to educate the entire Twitterverse on Casper Research in a series of 75 tweets. That's right. So on August 15th, Vitalik Buterin, co-founder of Ethereum, took to Twitter to universe a storm of tweets that he set out to explain the history and developments of the Casper Research 
And it, man, it was long. I read all of it. I literally read all of it. I, I tweeted some of it. But um, overall, he kind of outlined the whole concept of proof of stake, the nothing of stake problem, the creation of Slasher, and the correlation between the three. In his first tweet, he said, Today I'm going to make a tweet storm explaining the history and state of Ethereum's Casper research, including the FFG versus CBC wars, the hybrid, full switch, the role of randomness mechanism, design issues, and more. He went on to talk about proof of work based on consensus algorithm. Um, he talked about Casper research. He went on about Slasher as a suboptimal algorithm. He went on a whole tweet storm. It was really fascinating. A lot of stuff was over my head, but he did his best to explain it thoroughly and objectively. And he had some really good points, which I thought, you know, assisted most definitely. So if you haven't looked at it, go, go ahead and go to his Twitter page and um, check it out. It's 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 nice. Uh, of course, there is a backlash. People were saying, you know, write a blog like everybody else. But honestly, that's what makes Vitalik Vitalik. That's what I think. And I kind of like that. I, I like that he takes Twitter very seriously as a means of delivering information. It's pretty cool. Um, next up, this is kind of new because we never really hear about Jackson Palmer. Uh, he's the founder of Dogecoin. Um, he really doesn't really weigh in on the controversial stuff out there. At least I never see him do it. You know, I feel like he's always on the educational scene. For whatever reason, this got him riled up. This got him riled up. So apparently the AT&T linked 23.8 million crypto theft got him riled up. So he said, don't get me wrong. Sim jacking is ridiculous. Cell providers need to get their act together. Plus two services need to stop supporting SMS two-factor authentication. And then he went on to say, this isn't a dig at cryptocurrency. It's a dig at anybody who keeps 24 million worth of cryptocurrency on a centralized exchange, defeating the entire purpose of said cryptocurrency. Um, yeah, he, he was pretty upset. Um, he He's talking about, if you guys don't know, and I don't think we talked about it just because it was just nonsense, in my opinion. I don't know how you lose you know, 24 million in cryptocurrency. So he's talking about Michael Turbin. He is the U.S. entrepreneur, cryptocurrency investor who had 23.8 million stolen from him. And um, he filed a lawsuit against AT&T, <laughs> accusing them of fraud and gross negligence in connection with his stolen cryptocurrency and his personal account. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess he has a point there, but at the same time, um, if you if you deal with these companies on a day to day basis like me, <laughs> you kind of know that uh, they suck at their job. And uh, a lot of people that they have on the security side of things, they're not very um, what do you even say? It's not the intelligence thing. It's just that they just don't care. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I fault at t because it is their responsibility. But at the end of the day, if you're holding your cryptocurrency on an exchange and you don't have the private keys and you're your one sms text message away from getting hacked i'm sorry man that's uh that's a tough pill to swallow i feel bad for you but at the same time you got to hold those private keys especially if it's 23 million do something do something i don't know man i think i think at that point i think the only thing you could do because you don't want those private keys on you right so i think at that point you probably should split up split up the paper or whatever you put it in um, and then, 
you know, send it all over the world. Give it to people that you trust, you know, maybe like, you know, 20 different people across the world. So even if they kidnapped you, you didn't have those private keys to begin with. You only know who has them all and you would lead them on a goose chase to go find them. Yeah. Make it hard for them. Come on, man. 23 million. That's a lot of money. Anyways. But uh, yeah, I'm surprised Jackson Palmer's talking about this kind of stuff. He's usually quiet on that front. Anyways, we got some more news. So goodbye, Toshi. Hello, Coinbase Wallet. I know what you're thinking. What is Toshi? Well, I don't know if you remember. Last year on last season episode, we did a whole like we used to do this thing called um, what was it called? App of the day or something. <laughs> it was early days of the podcast. We did like an app of the day. And I think Toshi was actually one of those apps that we talked about. Um, so for people that aren't aware, Toshi project was launched just over a year ago. It was featured as the world's first mobile focused decentralized application, the DAP browser. Just a few months later, Toshi became the first wallet to support crypto collectives like crypto kitties and the like. While these moves were appreciated by many Toshi, overarching goal was to facilitate an easy to use decentralized ecosystem through a simple app on your mobile phone. It was pretty cool. Like I still have it downloaded and I got a notification. They even gave me free ether at the time too. It wasn't that much. Like I think it was like 50 cents or a dollar. Point I'm trying to get to is that Coinbase, Coinbase has changed the name. They're calling it Coinbase wallet now. So it allows users to store their private keys within your device instead of a centralized server. Not only are the funds controlled by the user, but the private keys are secured using a so-called secure enclave through biometric authentication methods. Yeah, pretty cool. I don't know if I'm going to use it as a wallet, <laughs> honestly. Um, I'm, You know, honestly, when it comes to this kind of stuff, like these apps that have, you know, that you can manage your wallet. And don't get me wrong, I used to, I used to love using, uh, what was it? I think it was called the... Um, Gosh, I have it on my phone here somewhere. I don't know if I use it anymore. I used to use it a lot. Um, I don't use it as much anymore. I think it was called Block Blockchain. Yeah, I think I used to use a blockchain wallet. That's what it was. Anyway, I don't use it anymore, but I used to use it a lot. And um, I don't know. I just didn't... I just didn't trust it for whatever reason. I'd never keep, I would never keep a lot of crypto on there. You know, it was always just to send and that was it. But these days I'm just like, nah, I'd rather keep it offline, you know? Yeah. Anyways, interesting news. And then finally, finally, we all know today was Coinbase Blue App Day, ETC, Ethereum Classic. That's right. It's getting added as of as of right now. So they said starting at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, that is, Coinbase consumers customers will be able to buy, sell, store, and use Ethereum Classic. Ha ha! And through the mobile app, of course. Um, but it, it really is, I think it's at $13 right now. This is what we were talking about. We'll talk about more coin talk. But when we discussed it last week, I you know, I told you guys this was gonna happen. Don't expect any kind of pump. Um, when it gets to the blue app, like this is just not going to happen. Um, the market, the way it is now, um, I think I think early, if you would have got in at that thirteen dollars when we had said initially, and then you would have saw it rise to twenty, and then it was it got dumped back down to, I think it was like fourteen, and then it really went down to like ten dollars. Um, I think the height that it reached was like fourteen bucks today or this morning when I saw it. So, I mean, you could have only made $4 on every every coin that you're holding. It really wasn't there. And would, the pump was never going to be there. But we'll see. It's supposed to be launching here any second now. Maybe it'll get to 
$30. Maybe people will be excited to it. I'm not expecting it at all. Um, I think uh, that first that first release on Coinbase Pro was the those were the one that everybody was expecting big highs. At least I was. That's the one I was expecting really big highs. And all we got was 20 bucks. Anyways, with that, let's get into our interesting video of the day. We got a good one today. Let's do it. Thriller podcast. Interesting crypto video of the day. So today's interesting video of the day is from CEO Brian Armstrong of Coinbase. That's right. He talks about the SEC, talks about how he's managing them, talks about what he needs, how he sees them, who they are, and what becomes of them if this whole Bitcoin thing takes off. (laughs) He also talks about that and more. Check this out. So... um What do you think about the risk factor here? Obviously, the SEC has not been very positive on Bitcoin lately. They've rejected a number of these Bitcoin ETFs. There was a lot of optimism that regulators would get on board. Why does the SEC still not believe? Mm. I mean, from my point of view, actually, the SEC has been pretty positive on it. They've, I don't expect them to kind of take some brand new technology and instantly bless it. You know, their job is to ensure that there's a safe market out there that consumers aren't going to get defrauded or anything. So I think rightfully so, they're looking at it with a lot of scrutiny, especially as there's so many new coins coming out there that are, you know, of questionable value. Um, so from my point of view, they've been very actually good to work with, um, just helping the ones that are more established come out. And the next big challenge we have working with them is, uh, we need to jointly define a uh, standard for like what is an acceptable cryptocurrency, how would you classify one as a security versus a commodity, all those kind of questions. Warren Buffett has called it rat poison squared. Jamie <laughs> Diamond has called it a fraud. Um, are they wrong? Yes, they're wrong. I mean, <laughs> um, and you know, of course, Jamie Diamond came back and corrected himself after that. He recanted-ish. Um, Look, I think, you know, if you go back six years, it was actually nine out of ten people who I talked to were crypto skeptics. Now it's getting harder and harder to find crypto skeptics. There probably are still some out there, but it's becoming contrarian to be a crypto skeptic instead of the other way around. So I think just like all new technologies, when they first come out, people are skeptical and then they start to see real world use cases and they get a little bit more excited. So what is your perspective on ICOs? It seems like there's a new initial coin offering every day whereby funds are raised unregulated and you've got a few investors who say, I want to back this, but there's no regulation around it. How do you see ICOs evolving? Yeah, so for, I mean, with my Coinbase hat on, um, our, our job is just to be the most trusted and easiest to use products out there in the market. And so we've taken uh, a more cautious approach to looking at ICOs. We haven't really participated in anything in that area yet. But with that being said, I do think ICOs are an important innovation in the world. And uh, the reason is that it's really difficult for people out there in the whole world to raise money for new ventures. Now, here in Silicon Valley, you know, entrepreneurs like myself are lucky enough to have a network of people, and we've been able to raise capital. But if I didn't, you know, at least I went to school in Houston, Texas, right? And um, I didn't know any angel investors there. The ones were there, they were from oil and gas and, 
if you went in there and you pitched them a new software product like cryptocurrency, I think they might, they'd be very unlikely to invest. So there, and there's people all over the world with even less opportunity, right, in many foreign countries. So for them, ICO is the ability to raise money from people all over the world who might send a little bit of crypto into this address on your computer as part of a crowdfunding project is a huge breakthrough. And yes, there's a lot of legal questions to work through. Um, there's a questions about quality on some of them, but I expect the ICO trend to continue. In fact, like this year in 2018, I think it's on track already to be 4X the size it was in 2017. And ICOs have broken all the previous crowdfunding records out there. So you said Coinbase's objective is to be about trust and legitimacy, not these sort of fly-by-night exchanges. What is it that you're doing at Coinbase to make sure that you are the leader, the brand leader in cryptocurrency, and that you give you know, all of this, you know, you see a huge opportunity here, opportunity here a good name? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing is that we work proactively with regulators, mm -hmm. right? So um, not only in the U.S., but we're operational in 33 countries. And so we've always tried to be an um, educational resource, proactively reach out to them, uh, whereas I think others in the industry have kind of tried to fly under the radar, right, which is a totally different approach. Um, you know, the second thing is around secu security, like cybersecurity, like storing this cryptocurrency is a really hard problem. And there's all these hackers out there in the world who are trying to break into exchanges and steal crypto. Um, and so we've built a, a track record and a reputation so far of being the most trusted at that, which is why we have the deposits that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, some of the things that we do, we talk about publicly, which is 99% um, of all those funds are stored entirely offline. They're not connected to the Internet. Um, we have a, a, a series of key holders that are geographically distributed around the world um, that need to come together in some kind of consensus to move any of those funds. And there's redundancy, so, you know, pieces of it can be lost or um, forgotten and that kind of thing. You know, if you just take me away, you can't, you can't actually get access to the funds. There's a, a group of people around the world that need to come con to consensus. So um, there's many things I could talk about. We have insurance on it and all these things. But I think compliance and cybersecurity have been two of the biggest pieces that have helped us get that more, most trusted reputation. Yeah, he does a really good job explaining everything, their whole roadmap, um, what they're doing with Toshi and um, what he has rolled out for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, I feel like Coin man. If if you would have asked me this this time last year how I felt about Coinbase, oh, you would have got a totally different answer. But I really feel I really feel they're turning this thing around. They actually are becoming a way better exchange than they used to be. Um, and that's and I was oh man, I was like really upset with them. I want to say like in March earlier this year, February, just because of all the stuff that we heard. Go back and listen to old episodes. Like you could. Yeah, last season was bad for Coinbase. Um, anyways, but yeah, they've gotten better. They've actually um, they've actually gotten better a lot. Um, so that's good. It's good to see that. And I think um, you know them being the biggest you know U.S. exchange, um, we kind of need them too. So kind of set a precedent. Um, with that, let's go ahead and jump into our coin talk segment. That's right. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. XRP. I know. Stellar, uh-huh, some more stuff there. Um, there's a lot of stuff growing. It is time. Only crypto, coins, trade, predictions ahead. It is what you spend all day wondering, isn't it? This crypto dream. Only on Coin Top.
right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, it's time for Coin Talk, my favorite part of my day. Honestly, it really is. Um, I look at this stuff all day. I really do. I do. It's kind of a, it's kind of an addiction. It really is. Um, yeah, I need to get some help, and my help is this podcast. That's why we have it, <laughs> so we can, so I can talk about crypto to everybody. And um, yeah, it really is. You guys help me out a lot more than you really think you do. Um, believe it or not, you'd be surprised. Because if uh, let's just say if, let's just say crypto came out in the '90s and there was no worldwide distribution via audio and it was just pirate radio, uh, man, I don't think Carr could get some pirate radio antennas up. He'd probably just be talking to a room <laughs> about Bitcoin. But thank God we have y'all. Anyways, want to mention? <laughs> look at that segue. I want to mention that we are going to be doing a Google Hangout on Friday, which is probably what you're listening to this today. So August 17th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, we're going to do a Google Hangout. If you guys want to hang out, come join us. Get on our Telegram. I'll put a link in there. We'll do a hangout. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Crypto. If you guys want to do, I know No Name always wants me to do a TCR on stuff, um, which is a Telegram coin request. If you guys want me to look at some coins that you guys are holding, um, if you want me to kind of give you my analysis on them, a quick run through on them, whatever you want, just uh Come join us in the hangout. It's going to be free, free crypto analysis by car. Because <laughs> I know everybody's like, oh, man, will you look into this? Will you look into this? Will you look into this? And I'm like, yes, I'll look into it. And um, so, yeah, if you guys are interested in that or if you guys just want to hang out and talk about whatever, we can do that too. Um, anyways, that's going to be tomorrow, August 17th, 2018 at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you can make it, cool. If you can't, we'll see you next time. And then also want to mention we have our newsletter. It's coming up. We only got like, uh, what, 14, 15 more days left in this month. So we're going to be doing some crypto. I haven't decided what we're going to release yet, um, but it's going to be nice. It's going to be real nice. It's going to be real nice. Um, yeah, so I'm stacking them up. I'm stacking up the chips, stacking up the chips to give them away. So if you haven't joined our newsletter and you're just passively listening right now while you're driving and you hear me say free crypto, <laughs> don't swerve. Keep going on the way to work because when you get there, click on the little newsletter link, sign up. It's free. doesn't cost anything. I literally will not spam you. It's just there to give out free crypto to y'all. Um, yeah, that's what we do. That's the kind of service Thriller Car provides on Thriller Podcast. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I think that's it. That's all we got. That's all we got. That's all we got. Oh, Twitter. If you guys want, I think I'm like, oh, man, I think I'm like 40 or 50 away from 1K followers. So if you haven't followed me on Twitter, there's a link in the show notes. Click on that. Follow me on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, sign up. Follow me. I'm just kidding. Don't sign up. If you're not on Twitter, it's cool. But if you are on Twitter and you're not following me, you need to at Thriller Podcast. Follow us. We get, we actually we delivered news on there. It's pretty good. It's it's on our. You you'll see a tweet from us every three four four minutes. I'm constantly checking crypto Twitter. Um, you guys can talk to me. I talk to you back. Uh, I'm a real person <laughs> on Twitter. Um, but yeah, you really won't see me do any kind of like early days of through a podcast. You would see me get into like crypto battles and stuff, but not so much anymore. Car's a busy guy these days. Um, <laughs> no, I'm really not. Just looking at crypto all the time. Anyways, 
follow us on Twitter at Thriller Podcast if you haven't already. And if you're really generous this weekend and you're like, hey, you know what? Cars doing it right, you know, and you really want to be extra nice. You can go to iTunes and leave me a review. Boom. You knew I was going to say that, right? Okay, cool. Anyways, let's go ahead and jump into our disclaimer. We got to play our disclaimer because we don't play our disclaimer. Shit, man. I could, I could get arrested. I could get I could get arrested. Seriously. Seriously. That's how serious. That's how serious the SEC is. Didn't you just hear Brian Armstrong talking about how serious the SEC was? They're very serious. They want to make sure that no one's out there pumping coin, even though there's some podcasts out there pumping coin, <laughs> pumping ICOs too, apparently. Uh, we don't do that here. But even if I did, which we don't, <laughs> we have to play a disclaimer. And I feel bad for those other places that aren't playing disclaimers because they're probably going to get shut down. That's right. They're going to come for them. Anyways, let's roll the disclaimer. Remember, Thriller Podcast does not give financial advice. He cannot tell the future, even if he thinks he can. He is just some dude, trying to save the world one Satoshi at a time. That's right. It's time for Coin Talk. I'm salivating. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not salivating. That's just sick. That's just sick, car. Calm down. Calm down with yourself, car. Calm down, bro. Bro, get in line, you crypto bro. Okay, seriously. Bitcoin is at $6,339. That's right. It's on a sale, baby boy. It's on a sale. No. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. Um, yeah, I bought some more this morning, of course. And um, it's funny. It's it's you know it's one of those things where like you know shout out to all my coworkers who are probably listening right now. But whenever I start hearing the, I start getting the pings at work, and they're like, "Hey, do you see Bitcoin? It's going back up." <laughs> or it's always like a ding. Do you see Bitcoin? It's going back down. I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, this is the time to buy. This is time to sell. Because if they're looking at it, and I'm, I'm looking at it every day, they have no idea. Y'all have no idea. Cars looking at this stuff all day. I got tickers on everything. I'm looking at this stuff all day. Uh, watching it. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but yeah, like, like, like today I was talking to my coworker. He was like, you know what? I'm going to get some Bitcoin. I'm like, yeah, man, just get like five bucks, you know, 10 bucks a week. You don't have to get that much. He's like, oh, he's like, how much do you think you could get to? And I was like, I was like, what do you mean? Like, he's like, yeah, how much, how high do you think you can get? And I was like, honestly, do you really want to know the answer to that? Or you want to, are you gonna, you're just going to think I'm crazy if I tell you the answer to that? He's like, no, tell me. And I told him, I was like, I really think it's going to get to 200K <laughs> here very soon. And he's like, how, how fast is soon? I would say two to three years. And he just looked at me and walked away. <laughs> I'm serious. People, people will walk away from you when you tell them stuff like that. They're not ready for that. They're not ready. That's why I don't say. That's why I don't say these things. So I only talk about it with y'all. I only talk about it with y'all. I only talk about it with y'all. No, it's true. Like I really believe once the happening happens, we are all set, jet blue set to reach 200k. I'm just saying. It's just obvious to me. But then again. 
then again, you know, I, I saw Bitcoin, you know, I, I was lucky. I was lucky. I saw Bitcoin when it was at 200 bucks. And I seriously thought to myself, okay, let me pick up a couple. Let me see what I can do with this. And shit, if I would have just held, that would have been $40,000 last year. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, you live and learn. You live and learn. You live and learn. That's why I say now, just buy as much as you can. <laughs> buy as much as you can at the bottom because you're going to be kicking yourself for not holding it. Uh, trust me, I, I am. I still am. I still am. Um, yeah, it's something that you don't forget. And it's a, it's a hard lesson to learn. It really is. And I feel like once you go through that the first time, um, you definitely take it. You don't take it for granted because you're you're more like, okay, you know, let's say if it does go there. Because there's no way. If you would if you would have told me in 2015 is it to get to 20k, I would have said you're effing crazy. <laughs> I would have said you're effing crazy. I would have said because I was thinking, okay, it's gonna get back to a thousand dollars, and that's an easy two grand. That's what I was thinking. Um, but it's one of those things where you don't really think that far ahead. Like you don't think two three years out when it when it comes to cryptocurrency. At least I didn't. I didn't. You know. I should have. It wasn't until I saw Ethereum where I was like, oh shit, this is going to be something, right? But yeah, anyways, I feel like I got off track. Okay, what I wanted to talk about. So Ethereum is at 289. And this was another thing. This was another thing that, of course, uh, he uh, I was talking to another coworker about Ethereum. They were like, okay, so where do you see Ethereum? Right now it's 289. Should I pick some up? And I told him, of course, you should pick some Ethereum up. And of course, they said, why? It's down. It's down doesn't scale all this stuff and i said yes now the current state of it now ethereum is is what you're saying it is and that's fine but you, you gotta you gotta look at this as an ever evolving type of technology it's not going to stay stagnant like it like it is now it's going to keep evolving the whole ecosystem for ethereum is growing it's going to continue to grow um, so that's what you're betting on. And then another thing, if you want an even bigger incentive, because I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't care about that kind of stuff, car. I don't care about the technology car. That's so dumb. Who cares about Web 3.0? You know what? You're going to care. <laughs> you're going to care in the main topic today because I'm going to cover it. But even even besides that, uh, you know, I totally get what you're saying. You don't you don't care about it. That's cool. That's cool. You're just an, it's just an investment vehicle for you. That's awesome. Whatever. Whatever. Everybody makes the money how they make the money. It's cool. But I will say, though, if you just care about that and you want the cold hard facts for that, I'll tell you this. Ethereum is going to be the next ETF after Bitcoin because Bitcoin is going to become an ETF. Probably won't come this year. I seriously doubt it. But if it's going to come in 2019, Bitcoin will come. And right after that, guess what's next? It's not going to be XRP. It's not going to be Bitcoin Cash. It's not going to even going to be Stellar. It's not going to be any other. It's not going to be Litecoin. It's not going to be any of that. It's going to be Ethereum. It's going to be Ethereum and Ethereum is going to get their own ETF. And when that happens, the price of Ethereum is going to skyrocket. And that's what I'm trying to say. If you were to buy Ethereum right now at $289, you're literally sitting on $289 right now for Ethereum. Who knows what it's going to be in a couple years? I don't know. I, I couldn't. I couldn't give you a gauge of it. There's no way I could give you a gauge. Bitcoin, I can say yeah for sure. I, I can kind of, and you'll think I'm crazy for saying it, which I just did. But Ethereum, that one's a head scratcher for me. You know, I thought it was going to get to 7K by the end of the year. I really did. I really thought Ethereum was going to get to 7K. It was a stamp and approval by me. I seriously thought, boy, was I wrong. Um, I think in the next bull run, it definitely will get to 7K. 
But when it, when it comes to an ETF, we have never seen that before. We don't know how Bitcoin, how high a Bitcoin is going to get once an ETF gets, you know, gets green lighted, you know? So if Ethereum is the next in line to get an ETF after Bitcoin and you're holding Ethereum right now, man, the sky's the limit on it. Really, it really is. And I think people aren't, people are seeing too short-sighted. No one's talking about this right now. I go on crypto Twitter, no one's talking about Ethereum ETFs or they're talking about Bitcoin ETFs and how their life isn't, isn't wonderful right now because they don't have a Bitcoin ETF. And for all the people that care just about the money, there you go. That's free advice. Go take it to the bank. And just remember, just remember who gave me that advice, <laughs> because I'm telling you, um, it's just obvious. This is obvious stuff. And I feel like a lot of people just don't know or they're not thinking that way. They're not thinking two or three years out. But you need to be thinking two or three years out when you're especially when you're investing in crypto, because if you think too short sighted, if you think too, you know, three to six months and that works, like, don't get me wrong, like. If I see a three to six month gain, and I'll tell you about it, just like we did with Ethereum Classic, we knew it was coming before we got it announced, told you guys when to get in, when to get out. It nice and rolled, everybody made money, it was awesome. Same thing, what's gonna happen here on the next Coinbase run, next next one's gonna get announced, I'm gonna tell you when to jump in, when to jump off, you know, stuff like that. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna point those out to y'all, obviously. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna do it, because that's, that's what you're supposed to do. No one likes to share this stuff. And that's why you have a lot of people that get burnt. And, you know, actually, they you shouldn't do that because you're scaring people away from using crypto. It's free knowledge. Some people share it and some people choose not to. And to each their own, you can either take it or you can go learn it yourself and apply it somewhere else. That's just what I say. Anyways, back to the back to the main chapter here. So XRP has got some new shoes on. <laughs> so people have been complaining for like, man, must have been years in crypto, crypto time. But uh, people are saying, oh, ripple this, ripple this. Well, finally, the blockchain company has announced that XRapid will be one of the most viable tools for cross-border payments and majorly powered by XRP. They have sealed a deal with three exchanges. I know. One of them is Bittrex. I'm surprised. <laughs> like Bittrex. Wow. I use Bittrex. I love Bittrex. Bittrex is my favorite. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised that they actually are using XRapid. And so how this is going to work, this is how, this is how it's going to, this is how we're going to break it down. So they've already ran pilots and as they, as they move from product to beta to production later this year, these exchange partners will allow us to provide financial institutions with comfort and assurance that their payments will move seamlessly between different currencies so basically makes it easier to initiate a payment in U.S. dollars via XRapid, then instantly converted to XRP on Bittrex, and then the payment amount in XRP is settled over XRP Ledger, and there you go. goes back to fiat. Makes sense. It's cool. We'll see how well it performs. But yeah, this is great news for XRP. I think this is what they needed, man. This is what they needed, but it's, it's still one of those things. It's going to be held over the head for the foreseeable future is Ripple is doing all the work. <laughs> they still have no partners, but Bitrix is a big partner, but they still have no outside entity besides Ripple making those partnerships, unfortunately. So we'll see. Hopefully Bitrix can uh, get on board with uh, XRP and they can start making partnerships of their own using XRP. That could be cool. Next up was pretty awesome. And of course, 
XRP spiked, got to like 30 cents today. Now it's back at 29 cents, but I, I'm going to see, it's going to continue to continuously to go up. Um, that's big news because uh, not only that, and I, if this is one thing that you definitely need to remember that um, using XRapid on Bittrex is good. And what you're going to see is the increase in volume of uh, actual users on the network using XRP. And that's good for the cryptocurrency it's good. It just is. It just is. Um, next up, we have Cardano. And Cardano is currently at $0.09, cents, up 1%. And they just released their own official Cardano Google Chrome extension, which is surprising because Chrome just removed MetaMask last week. So that's kind of it's kind of weird, right? So, I mean... They got the green light from Cardano. It's called Icarus. And you're going to be able to hold your own ADA. That's going to be cool. And of course, they're going to have a whole development group behind the ADA token. And they're going to be working on it. And it's supposedly, it's supposed to be, it was announced on the 15th, but it's going to be rolled out later this year. So that's going to be cool. It's going to be an easy one-click install across the Chrome store. And then you're going to be able to use audit and security warranties and full wallet recovery in two to three minutes. It's awesome. I'm still waiting on their ledger integration. I'm still waiting for that. That's what I'm waiting for. Until then, it's a desktop wallet for me, unfortunately. Um, But I will say, yeah, both of these announcements today were both good for both cryptocurrencies. I like it. I like it. I like it. And then this last piece of news which is really interesting because it came from our telegram. Morvisky, he said at approximately 9.46 a.m., I had no idea, I saw this at work. He said, Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, just followed Stellar on Twitter, period. Coincidence? Question mark? I don't know, Morvisky. I think you're on to something right there, buddy. Because when I go and look at Brian Armstrong's Twitter, he freaking did he freaking followed stellar just like just like that it's crazy what is that telling us brian armstrong what are you telling us with that what are you telling us with that voodoo that you're doing yeah i'm surprised i'm surprised that he just outright he's he how dare he follow stellar right now expecting us to see expecting us to see that does that mean it's going to be the next one added? Man, I hope so. It's going to be cash and day for a lot of thriller podcast enthusiasts out there. Uh, no, seriously. I know a lot of us are holding a lot of Stellar, so we're going to watch this closely as it develops. Thank you, Morowski, for posting that in our Telegram exclusively. That's the news that this Telegram community provides. You guys should totally join if you haven't already. <laughs> no, seriously, I really appreciate it because, like, man, I totally wasn't even – that wasn't even on my radar to see who he follows. I'm glad somebody's looking at that. But, um, yeah, man, let's see what happens. You know, some little part of me, you know, call me crazy. Tomorrow's Crypto Friday, and we know we know a lot of news comes out on Crypto Friday. Remember, what have we been getting this year? We've been getting a lot of news this year on Crypto Friday. So Crypto Friday, we're probably going to see some news tomorrow. Every week we've been seeing some news. So fuck, man, if they announce Stellar showing up on Coinbase tomorrow, holy crap. Man, it's going to be a hell of a Google Hangout, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, but seriously, just keep keep an eye out 
for that. Get in our Telegram, whatever I see first, I'll post it there. But yeah, Crypto Fridays have become a thing here in cryptocurrency land. And a lot of stuff is getting is getting announced on Friday, surprisingly. So we'll see what happens. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I can't wait to see what unfolds for the rest of this month. I, I really, this is my, this is what I've been telling you. I really think we're going to see a nice little rise here in, right now towards, I think this weekend we're going to see a nice little rise. I really believe that. You know, and I feel like once September comes, mid-September, somewhere around there, we're gonna see a nice, we're gonna see a nice big dip. But I think we're gonna be back on our feet by the end of September, leading into October. So just remember, pay attention tomorrow. Stuff might get announced. Who knows? But Crypto Friday has become just that. Crazy. It's crazy. And then one more thing. I'm gonna tell you this right now. Get your bags ready. <laughs> if you need to hold some XLM, if you're if you're looking to make money short term, this is what you need to do. I'm just telling you, XLM, BAT, zero X, ADA, Zcash. That's it. Hold those. Stand in line. It's going to skyrocket whenever something gets announced for those five, because it's going to be one of those five that's going to get announced. And once they announce it, we saw what happened last time. It shot everything up. It shot everything up. It like immediately catapulted. So if they announce like they have been, I have a feeling it's going to happen. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not tomorrow. I don't want to set expectations. But I do feel like something's going to get announced for the next coin on Coinbase by the end of this month. I really do feel like that's going to happen. I don't know why. Something's just telling me. I haven't got an email or anything from anybody, but it just it just feels like that's... I don't know. I feel like I feel like Brian Armstrong's on a roll right now. He got the Toshi stuff released. He got ETC on there. He's doing these talks now. Now he's going to go out next week and boom, he's going to drop something else on us. Who knows? But I feel like this is his time to come with his sword and just go wham to the whole cryptocurrency market and get it back up. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Keep an eye out for that. And I think for the most part, everything's pretty up. IOTA is back up, forty six cents. Oh my God, VeChain at a penny now. Wow, that's crazy. Up 41%. Um, ontology up 45%. Yeah, the whole market's good now. I mean, there's some stuff that I'm watching for the most part, but, you know, mostly all these five that I keep continuously talking about, those are the ones that I'm loading up on, especially 0x, like loading up on that, just because I have a feeling it's going to be that one first, but I've been wrong before. But uh, yeah, just loading it up today. Gonna pick up some more XLM just because we have to. Um, yeah, that's just the way I am. Anyways, with that, let's go ahead and jump into our main topic. Today we're discussing the evolution to Web 3.0. Yeah, that's right. This is this is what you keep hearing, right? This whole decentralized future. I know. I love it. I love talking about it. It's just it's just such a sexy thing to say. <laughs> Decentralization. <laughs> Anyways, now, the evolution to Web 3.0, we're going to talk about it today. It's going to be interesting. If you guys are interested in it, hang on. Hang on to your seats. We're about to start it right now on our main topic. Better in November. Try to 
information space where documents and other web resources are identified by uniform research locators, interlinked by hypertext links, accessible via the internet. Tim Berners-Lee invented the World Wide Web in 1989. He wrote the first web browser in 1990, but Tim Berners-Lee's vision of a global hyperlinked information system became a possibility by the second half of the 80s. By 1985, he had created what is now become the dawn of the information age. Take a listen to Tim Berners-Lee. Recall Web 1.0. Well, the web wasn't the first project I had where I had an idea, I wanted people, other people to work on it. Um, so the idea, the, the situation I was in was writing software, creating systems with the help of other people, typically uh, people who, for one reason or another, they thought it was a good idea. Uh, they didn't necessarily have their boss's permission to work on it. 
um, but we form these in, in formal collaborations. And so the idea was that it should be a play space. What I was interested in wasn't just in it being something in which finished documents would go. What I was really interested in was uh, capturing the meetings, capturing meetings and all the things discussed in the meetings. I, want, I was really interested in capturing the process so that I imagined, uh, supposing a student comes for the summer, I'd like to be able to just point them at the project and say, look, you know, this is where we are. This is what the design is. If you're interested in how we got there, here's the paper trail. You'll be able to burrow down and find where, why we made this decision. So we could be able, you'll be able to go to look at the background documents that we had when we made those decisions and so on. So I was interested in it being an encapsulation both of the design, which was being collaboratively evolved, but also an encapsulation of all the, the social processes going on around it. So it really was supposed to be a play space. It was supposed to be a place where you together make a hypertext design of something, a bridge, uh, a program, whatever it is. And because you've done it together in hypertext, then uh, it's available for other people to get up to speed very quickly and it becomes a, a, a resource for everybody else. Well, the original vision was, to a certain extent, instantiated in, the, in that first program I wrote, the first web browser editor. It wasn't just a browser, it was, it was an editor. So while you were looking at a web page, you could correct a spelling mistake and, and say save, and it would save the, the, the web page back. Or if you thought, oh, that's interesting, I think, it's, I think that idea is connected to this idea that I saw before, you could go to find the other idea, you could press the mark combination, you highlight a phrase, press mark, uh, go back to where you were in another window, highlight something and press the link keys and the hypertext link would be made. So in real time, as you were, as you were thinking about the, the, the problem, you could make a hypertext link. So that, and, and that program ran on the next machine. Now, the next machine was a wonderful machine. It was a magnesium black box that Steve Jobs put together when he rebelled from Apple and put together next. <clears throat> but um, not a lot of people had it. And in fact, at CERN, in a, in, a, in a rather unusual attempt to rationalize, it, it was decreed that no one should buy them. So there were something like 12 on site. So that was really disappointing. Um, so the web had spread to be uh, as, a, as a collaborative medium, an editable space, among people who had the next machine. But uh, then various other people built, wrote browsers. Uh, Payway made one called Viola, and uh, it was it was a very, that was a very interesting browser uh, because it had scripts in it, a little bit like uh, the dynamic sort of pages that we get today. Um, um, there was Cello, there was Midas, and there was Mosaic, which Mark Andreessen put together, um, which was about the fourth browser, and that became very popular. But these were all just browsers. So the moment people knew the web as being something you see from a browser, suddenly it became uh, a not a completely passive medium, not as passive as television, but a whole lot more passive than the read-write web, which had been the, the, the design goal. Web 1.0 was the first iteration of the web. It represented a read-only web. In other words, the early web allowed us to search for information and read it there is very little in the way of user interaction or content generation. This was what most website owners wanted. They needed a website that made their information available to anyone at any time. Many people back then had no idea what the World Wide Web would become. Many people had no idea what hypertext was. 
much less the entire world becoming interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold a hand to someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Did they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you long for having your heart interlinked? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you dream about being interlinked? Interlinked. What's it like to hold your child in your arms? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Why don't you say that three times? Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Web 2.0, the Read Wide Web, as Bernard Lee described it, was the ability to contribute content and interact with other web users. It has dramatically changed the landscape of the web in a short time. It has much potential, and some of the examples are YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I think you know the rest of them. Web 2.0 is a welcome response to web users who want to participate in the information. This is a short clip from Kevin Rose, one of the biggest Web 2.0 pioneers in the mid 2000s. And when we launched, there was Flickr and Facebook and Delicious, uh, Wikipedia, MySpace. We were in very good company, but we all had one thing in common, and that's that we didn't launch during Web 2.0. Um, this was, you know, some of these companies are more than four years old now. And it was kind of a tough time to get funding for consumer internet plays. And we, um, I remember Jason Calacanis came up to me and said, uh, you're kind of one of those, those Web 2.0 websites. And I remember just thinking, like, I, does he mean I need to upgrade my servers or something? Like, I, didn't, I had no idea what he was talking about. But this kind of this, this downtime when there wasn't a whole lot of competition brought a, a few advantages for us. And, and one is that we had that first mover advantage and that we didn't have a whole lot of competitors for the first six or eight months, which was great because we got dig out the door. Um, we had people that were coming to the site and using the product, and really there were no clones, no other competition. Um, and this also led into things like great press coverage because we weren't fragmented with like 500 other new startups that were launching. And you know, TechCrunch wasn't wasn't uh, churning out 20, uh, 20, 30 new startups per day. Um, but one of the most important things is I think that we had a, a very focused group of early adopters that used our product. And their time wasn't being split with other new startups. Um, you know, I have first-hand experience with this with launching things like, like Pounce and others like during the middle of Web 2.0. And that's that it was, it's a very difficult time to launch new companies when there's a lot of other things going on. Because, um, I don't know, we've learned from some of the focus groups that we've done at Dig and, and elsewhere that... Uh, there's, there was a lot of kind of social graph fatigue and that people would come to use your product and you know you sign up for one the first time, you hear about something great on TechCrunch, you go sign up, you invite all your friends and then you hear about something else and you may do that again and then you do it a third time. By the time you do it uh, three times, you're just, you know, you're done and your friends don't want to receive these invites anymore. So it was very difficult from those three uh, standpoints and it was hard to get press and there's just so much going on. So we know in the next 12 or 18 months, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a downturn and sadly, a lot of these companies are going to uh, disappear. Um, and there's not going to be a whole lot of investing in consumer internet, or at least you know, uh, sites with an advertising model. And it's going to be uh, another one of these kind of um, little valleys where I, I believe personally that it's going to be a great time to start something new. There are many definitions of a Web 2.0 application. But when you think of applications and apps, there's only one thing that comes to mind in the mid-2000s. 
a revolutionary product that changed the entire landscape of the World Wide Web. And that is the iPhone. Well, today we're introducing three revolutionary products of this class. The first one is a widescreen iPod with touch controls. The second is a revolutionary mobile phone. And the third is a breakthrough internet communications device. So, three things. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. An iPod, a phone, and an internet communicator. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. Today, Today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. This leads us to Web 3.0. By exploring Tim Berners-Lee's explanations, Web 3.0 is a read-write-execute. This is difficult to envision in an abstract form. To illustrate, to condemn, to understand, to consider semantic markup and web services, communication gaps between humans and computerized applications. There's only a few people that understand this on a different scale. Joseph Lubin, co-founder of Ethereum, is one of them. Take a listen. We were about a year into the Ethereum project mission, and there weren't a lot of people building at the application layer of the platform, so we started gathering software developers to build out applications on Ethereum. The kinds of things that we're building here are going to be the foundational elements or the building blocks of uh, economic, social, and political systems over the next few decades. Uh, having all those people uh, accessible to you, um, people who are the deep, domain experts in the solidity language and programming best practices and security auditing and having them all uh, have lunch with you on a regular basis or just joke with you all day on Slack uh, is incredibly valuable. So uh, just the ability to embed your project uh, in this mesh um, essentially gives you the ability to supercharge it. There will be lots and lots of other decentralized protocols, maybe some that do what Ethereum does in different ways, uh, but many for decentralized storage and bandwidth and heavy compute and proof of location and a thousand other things. So um, it is one early sig significant component of the decentralized World Wide Web. 
Web 3.0 is currently evolving. This whole notion of formatting data to be understood by software agents leads to the execute portion of Web 3.0 definitions. Software as a service supports computer-to-computer interaction over the internet. Web services are not new and usually take the form of an application program and interface. Decentralized applications fit into a browser or into an app. The world, the possibilities are endless. Take a listen to Vitalik Buterin on helping to build Web 3.0. Web 3 is this uh, vision that you know Ethereum plus a combination of several other technologies can bring about a more kind of decentralized internet that puts basically more control in the hands of the user. Mm-hmm. And this is a suite of technologies that includes Ethereum as a kind of decentralized database, Whisper as kind of decentralized messaging, Swarm as decentralized content hosting, possibly other technologies as well. And these things would be developed in some ways together, but designed to be nicely complementary with each other. And you could see a lot of applications using some combination of both. Uh, what about the infrastructure environment, hardware requirements and things? Um, well, one of the things I uh, actually love about blockchains is that they can survive without needing much special hardware. Mm-hmm. So like, I uh, personally just actually really love the idea that basically the thing could just run on a few thousand guys with their regular laptops. That's one of the things that really excited me about Bitcoin early on. It doesn't require all of this like billion dollars of capital started up by people who are already here before, and that would be basically impossible for a new group to match. It's just, you know, like a few thousand people on their laptops is all that you need. With respect to hardware, what about people who are not going to have laptops, but just yeah. smart devices? Look, one of the things that we kind of deeply cared about from the start, especially for people with laptops, is a very strong light client technology. So this basically means that you, know, like you can use this technology to have a client that runs on a phone, which has almost the same levels of security and trustlessness as a regular client, except it's like vastly more efficient. And you can do that uh, in, in Sudan, um, where yeah. you have people with you know, I mean, pretty probably basic phones not, Su- and... not Sudan now, but probably Sudan in three to five years, yes. Like people do underestimate, I think, just like the sheer level of mobile penetration and right. you know, like how quickly it's uh, growing. I think uh, once all of these places have uh, internet access and once they get up to, like basically once the quality of $20, $20 phones increases by another couple of, couple of years worth of time, it'll definitely be at that point. If Ethereum is going to be the world computer of Web 3.0, then there's going to have to be some kind of payment mechanism that attaches to it. Of course, they have their own side chains that they're currently being built. Omizgo comes to mind. But one of our favorite ones is Stellar. Take a listen to Jed McCaleb talk about how they are going to make Stellar protocol open and usable for everybody. Right, so in the early days of computing, uh, if we were on the same mainframe and I wanted to send you a message, it was pretty straightforward. I would just leave the message and when you logged on, you would get it. Um, it, it was still pretty easy when we were on the same network. Um, there was a simple protocol to send it from my machine to your machine if we were on the, on the same local area network. Uh, it started to get a little more complicated when there were different networks, maybe we were on different operating systems. You would actually have to specify the route through, uh, through, from computer to computer to reach someone else's machine. And then if one of those machines was down in the middle, your email would get lost. Uh, it, was, it was sort of this big mess. Like no one, no one knew if the mail would get there or not. And this all was all changed when some, in 1982 when someone came up with what's called uh, the Simple Mail Transfer Protocol, or SMTP. And SMTP is this uh, 
open interoperable standard that anyone can adopt, right? And so the beauty of it is now uh, people who run mail servers, for instance, like Gmail or Yahoo, they don't have to have formal relationships with each other, right? They don't, they don't even really have to know about each other. The, the protocol, they just have to adopt the protocol and then the mails can flow, right? Um, and what we've seen is SNTP and, and email has grown extremely rapidly since it was introduced. introduced. It's had huge benefits for our society and economy. And it's all because SNTP provides this open protocol for communications, right? So why can't we use the same model for payments? Like, that's kind of what we want, right? Um, so it turns out sending, sending a payment is a little more complicated than sending an email. Uh, when you send a payment, when you send an email, it, I can send someone the exact same email and it's not a big deal. But if I send you $10, I better not be able to send the exact same, per, or someone else the exact same $10, otherwise we have a problem. And this is known as the double spend problem. And it's sort of a subset of this first point here. How do you store, prove possession, and transmit value in this digital way? Um, and so then the other problem is, how do you digitally represent existing currencies and assets? Because, you know, there's people all over the world and they use different currencies and these things, everybody wants to use what they, what they use locally, right? We want to use dollars here in Mexico, they would use pesos, et cetera, et cetera. And then once there are these different uh, currencies and assets, how do you make them interoperable, right? Um, you know, w when you're sending a payment to someone in Mexico, it shouldn't matter that it has to do some currency exchange, it should still be uh, frictionless and, and quick, right? And then, importantly, once, uh, once you make this system, you need to make sure it still scales. Like, it needs to be used by billions of people, millions of transactions. So is it even possible to solve these problems? And in fact, uh, we didn't think, uh, computer scientists didn't think it was possible to solve the first one. You know, how to solve this double spin problem wasn't even known until recently, uh, until one of these visionary Satoshis gave us Bitcoin, right? So. Bitcoin, Bitcoin is this awesome uh, innovation, right? It does these kind of two things in this elegant way. Um, the first thing it does is converts a real-world resource, i.e. electricity, into a digital asset. So it takes uh, something in the real world and puts it into the digital realm, right? And the second thing it does is it provides this immutable public record, right? Uh, it, it's, it's basically, there's a database there that everyone can see, uh, but no one can change arbitrarily, right? So it's as if there's this giant rock out there on the internet that you can now chisel things into. So, in the other example, if I want to send you $10, now I can just go chisel into the, into the rock that I've sent you $10. And so if I try to send it to somebody else, then they'll see that it's already on the rock and, and can't be done, right? So that's great. Bitcoin solves the double spin problem, right? So it solves the first issue on our list here. But we still have these three remaining challenges. So how do we solve them? And then you might first think, well, maybe we'll just kind of keep adding stuff to Bitcoin until we get there. But, but that's not really the way software works. You kind of want to have... Uh, the, the design from the beginning and just solve these simple issues, right? So, so Bitcoin was designed to be a new currency. It wasn't really designed to be this unifying universal payment network. And that's what Stellar does. It solves these three remaining issues. That's the evolution to Web 3.0. There's multiple protocols and decentralized applications that are being built right now that are going to contribute to this Web 3.0. And I can't wait for it to happen. With that, let's get on to the end of the show.
3.0, I tell you, it gets me fired up for the future. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a great crypto week. Saw some, some green this week. I like it. I like it. But this crypto weekend, make sure you get ready. Because I have a feeling we're going to see a nice little spike. Just have that feeling. We'll see what kind of crypto news we'll get tomorrow on Crypto Friday. But just remember, buy Bitcoin, save the world. See you next week. This is the end of the show. Time.